0: we're going to be looking into God's Word here. We're going to be talking about actually something that is very important in my opinion. You know, the self-help industry in this country has gotten huge. I didn't even know it was an industry. I started looking things up and there's a whole industry dedicated to self-help. And it is quite a machine if you get to really looking at it, looking at how they do these things. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about the power of God's Word. You know, In all my research into this, the Bible was not considered a self-help tool because it was considered a historical writing. But I'm telling you right now, by their their very definition of self-help, they 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 should include the Bible in it. And we're gonna start looking at some of the things that the world talks about self-help before we get into what the Bible says. You know, self-help book unit cells Uh, It's kind of fuzzy. I did the best I could to clear the graph up. It didn't work out that well for me. My technological did not work out well for me. So I'll just kind of point some things out to you. It starts out in 2013 to 2019. In 2013, they started out with just a little under 10 million in sales. In 2019, they're up to almost 20 million. And that's including all the books that I wrote before. They're saying that all the books that will be written, they're going to sell about 13 million copies, new copies in 2020. Of the new stuff, and plus whatever the old stuff is still selling. So they're selling a lot of books, but as I said, it's a whole industry. I, but wherever I was growing up, it was just books. Self help, you went to the self help section of the bookstore, that's what it was. Now you got videos and everything else. You start including some of that stuff, it gets even bigger. How much is the self help industry worth? Wow. Like I said, I didn't know it was an industry, I looked this up and I was oh, it's an industry, and sure enough, it is. The industry focuses on self-improvement in basically all aspects of life and aims to help people achieve their goals, ranging from appearing more physically fit to overcoming depression or anxiety. As of 2017, the self-help industry was worth $9.9 billion. Projected average annual growth at a rate of 5.6%. You talk to any company if they have a projected annual rate of 5.6%, they're pretty happy with that. 5% every year, I can make it 5% more than I made the year before, they're pretty happy with that. It has turned into a juggernaut of an industry in the United States. What is considered a self help book? You know I I said the Bible was not considered a self help book because it was considered a historical writing. By uh, this particular website I was looking at, we define a self-help book as any book written with the explicit intention of helping the readers change or improve some aspect of their personal or professional lives. Again, their own definition says the Bible should be included in that. We're going to point that out here in a little bit. The whole point of the self-help industry is to change or improve some aspect of their personal or professional lives. You know we all want to do better in our professional life. We may all want to do better in our personal life. And if you want to know how, just get in with the self-help people. They'll t- show you exactly how to do it. That's the thought in America. The they're making $9.9 billion a year and they know what they're doing. If they didn't know what they do, what were doing, they wouldn't be making this money. The most popular self-help books. This was kind of an algorithm, because I've only heard of one of them, and I bolded the one I heard of. The rest of them I hadn't even heard of, really. Think and Grow Rich, over 80 million copies sold. I hadn't even heard of that one. It's the biggest seller of all time, evidently. The more than over 65 million copies sold. You can hear your life, over 50 million copies sold. Rich Dad Poor Dad, over 26 million copies sold. This is what I heard of, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and this number five on the list at 20 million. That's one of the ones I've heard of. The rest of them I don't even know that much about. Do not sweat the small stuff, just under 20 million sold. Who Moved My Cheese? I have no idea what that's about, but evidently it's about somebody that got something moved and don't know what, I mean, I don't know. I didn't go into that detail to find out what these books were actually about. The Celestine Prophecy? The secret, and then the power of positive thinking. I've heard of that one. That's why I've heard of two of them. You know, whenever you add all these up, you get a little bit over 350 million copies sold. That's a lot of books. The average rate for Bible sales in the United States is about fifty million a year. They sell more in a year than these books have total on a lot of them. Some of them sell 80, 65 million, you get down to the 50 million, you sell more Bibles in a year than they sold in the entire life, time of those books. Well, I looked it up. To the best of their knowledge, they said that record keeping wasn't always great when they started selling Bibles. But when they started selling Bibles, they would have sold over 5.5 billion Bibles. And that's just by taking the math they know, because like I said, record keeping probably wasn't great when they first started selling these things. 5.5 billion copies. All the books on the list that were on this website sold 2.5 billion. Every single self-help book on that list. Now, I don't know what they had to do to get on that list. 2.5 billion. The the Bible more than doubled it. But yet, it's not a self-help book. It's a historical document. Well, let's take a look. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very often, O Lord, according to your word. Except I pray the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, and they are rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your status, statutes forever. To the very end. Very first sentence: The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think that would fit in with trying to better yourself prof- professionally or personally. You know, if it's a light to your path. It's showing you which way you should go. It's showing you the way you need to be. God's word can do that for you. It's the greatest self-help book ever written. I'll tell you that right now. All the authors of the other self help books can't claim to be perfect. The writer of this can. It is inspired by the perfect God who created you. So who knows what he's talking about? He will guide our path if we let him. Well, you say, well, that's in the Old Testament. We live by the New Testament. Okay, we can do that. Let's look at 7 Timothy 3 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the New Testament. It's saying all scripture, so everything that you have, what is it given for? It is given by the inspiration of God, and it it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. It's made to make you better. Make your life better. Make you a better person. Make you a better Christian. If you do the things that are found in the Bible, you'll have a better life. Now, let's just start looking at what the Bible... Let's start comparing a little bit. I'm not going to get into the detail on these books. We're just going to take a broad overview and comparing some of these things. First of all, let's look at the most popular self-help topics. What I did is the top three books that I could find, or the top three video programs, there's a mixture in here, on what topics they covered and how successful they were. The first one is over my self-worth and self-esteem. You know that's important to us. We all like to feel like we're worth something. We all like to think pretty good of ourselves. That was known, that was the first one I looked into. The second one I looked into is relationships. We all wanna have good relationships. How do we improve our relationships? That was number two. And number three is, what is the purpose of my life and what am I doing here? How can I find out what the purpose of my life is and how can I achieve that purpose? That was number three. So what we're going to do is we're going to take these three subjects and look at what the Bible has to say about these three subjects. And by the end, I hope you realize that the Bible can be your best self-help aid. Let's look at self-worth first. You know, we all want to feel like we're important. We all want to feel good about ourselves. Nobody wants to feel like they're not any good or they the bottom of the society, we all want to feel pretty good about ourselves. Let's see what the Bible says about our self-worth. Starting in Genesis 1 and 27 at the very beginning of the Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You were made in the image of God. Every human being that has ever been born was made in the image of God. That should give you a little bit of worship, isn't it? I'm made like God somehow. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he's not talking about the physical way I look like God because we all look a little different. But we all have a spirit, don't we? We have been given something by God that no, no, nothing else has on this, on this earth. No other animal has a spirit. No other animal has a soul that can be saved or can be lost. You know, there was a movie whenever I was in school called All Dogs Go to Heaven. You know what? We like to tell kids that. Are there really going to be dogs in heaven? No, probably not. Because a dog doesn't have a soul. Once a dog's dead, it's dead. When he's dead, he's dead all over. There's nothing left. But we have a soul, and that should put great value in your life, and that should show show you that you have worth to something, to somebody. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, let's go in the New Testament, because we like to do that. As I said, we don't buy the New Testament, so let's look and see what the New Testament has to say about our self-worth. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Somebody paid a price for you, and it was a high price. It wasn't some gold or some. Amount of land or something to be bartered. Jesus gave his blood for you. You were bought at that price. You were worth something to God. You know, let's continue. Let's look at First Peter 1 18 through 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know what? I may spend some money for you. I may help you out if you're having financial hardships. But I can't say I'd die for a whole lot of you. That's just not a, that's something I can be really honest about and say, yeah, I'd be willing to die for everyone in this room. I can't say that. It's just not, that wouldn't be honest. But Christ gave his blood for everybody in this room. Not only everybody in this room, but everybody around the world. We all have value. It doesn't matter if you're the richest man in the world or the poorest man in the world. You have value to God. You should have that, and you should be able to, able to recognize that. Let's look at Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrates his love for us while that we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you enough, even though you were still a sinner, to send His son to die for you. There value in that. Your life has value. You know, as hard as it is to say, Adolf Hitler's life had value to God. You know how I know that? Because the Apostle Paul's life had value to God. You know, we look at Saul, we, Ananias, he goes to Ananias and say, says, go preach go Saul, what I've taught you, because he's a chosen vessel to me. And Ananias goes, you sure about that, Lord? This guy's putting us in prison and killing us. If he had his way, the whole Christian religion would be wiped out. Even though nobody on earth can see the value of Paul or, the, or Saul of Tarsus to God, there's value there. Even if we can't see ourselves, we have value to God. He gave it because he loved you that much. That's, that, that's some value. I wouldn't give my son for anybody. I told you I might die for you. I wouldn't give, you my, I wouldn't give my son for any of you. Sorry, that's just not happening. I can't appear to even say that with a straight face that I would do that because that, that would not happen. But God saw value in your life and value in what you could do for him that he sent his son for you. Okay, let's talk about relationships. You know, this can get kind of tricky. That we all want to hear about our relationship problems, well, it's the other person's fault. They're the wrong ones. Well, that's what we all want to hear. Is that always the case? No, it's not. Sometimes I mess up. But we all want somebody to tell us, oh, it's all the other guy's fault. You just need to forgive him because it's all his fault anyway. Well, what does the Bible tell us about relationships? You know, one of the very first things he tells us is in one of the things that, people disagree with the most is Luke 6 and 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. The golden rule. You know what the golden rule in America really is? I'm going to treat you the way you treat me. I'm not going to treat you the way I want to be treated. I'm going to treat you the way you treat me. And we're just going to have this whole sim- simpatical relationship here where we just treat each other the same way. You treat me bad, I'll treat you bad. You treat me good, I'll treat you good. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says treat all men as you would have them treat you. I don't want anybody to treat me bad. But am I willing to treat all people good the way I want to be treated? You know, 90% of relationship problems can be fixed if you follow this verse right here. If we just treat each other the way we'd want to be treated, it'd fix a lot of our problems. Ephesians 5, we have the marriage chapter. You know, I'm not going to get into reading that, but it talks about how the wives should submit to the husbands. The husbands should love the wives. But let's get on this whole concept of I'm going to treat you how you treat me thing. There's one thing I have not found in there. And if you find it, please let me know because I would like to correct this if I just missed it. I didn't say, hear him say, the husband loves the wife as long as she submits unto him. And I didn't hear him say the wife uh, submits him to the husband as long as he loves her. That's not how it goes. We're responsible for our own way we treat each other in relationships. The way I treat my wife shouldn't depend on the way she treats me. It's not in there. I wish it was. It make my life a whole lot easier sometimes. I wish it was in there that says, OK, treat people the way they treat you. I wish it was in there. It's not. I can't find it. And if you do find it, please tell me because I want to know about it because I would love to be able to go out and treat everybody the way they treat me. It just would make my life a whole lot easier. I'd have a whole lot less stress just know, hey, however they treat me, I'm going to treat them back the same way. I don't have to work on being a better person. I don't have to work on treating them good. I just treat them the way they treat me. If they don't fulfill their responsibilities, I don't fulfill my responsibility. That's not how it works. In Matthew 15, I mean 18, verses 15-20, you know what happens if it's already in the ditch? The relationship's already in the ditch. He tells us here. If your relationship's getting in the ditch, this is how you're supposed to fix it. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take one thing with you, one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let to him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Are we willing to do that? You know, the very first thing it says it says, "You go to your, him and your brother alone." You know, I, I worked with a lady. She was a different kind of girl, but she had a problem with one of the. Uh, I, I was working at the bus barn at the time, and she had a problem with one of the drivers. I mean, she was just mad, bad mouthing her to everybody. And I finally just go, "Well, don't you think you could fix it better if you just went and talked to her?" She goes, "Well, I if I talk to enough people, they'll get back to her, and she'll come talk to me." Is that the way we think about things? That's not the way it should be. Uh, If I tell enough people, eventually you'll get back to her and she's going to come and talk to me about it. It says then, but if he will not hear you, take you one or two more by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word may be established. And then finally, he says that you need to take it before the church. You know, the problem is we want to take it before everybody before we go to our brother. We want to make sure we're we want to make sure how people know we were done wrong and how we were in the wrong and how we were in the right and they were in the wrong. And we just want to let everybody know about it except the person that we actually have a problem with. That's not the way the Bible tells you to handle relationship problems. What is my purpose? You know, this is a big one. What is my purpose? What is the purpose of me being here? Is there a purpose? Is there a purpose? Am I just here to be a concrete driver? Uh, Is Mike just here to be a dad? Is Nancy just here to be an engineer? Is Kyle just here to be a lawyer? What is my purpose and why am I here? Let's answer a big question. How about that? It's got a very simple answer, and you can find it in the Bible, what your true purpose here on Earth is. Very simple answer. You may not like it because it's a simple answer. You may want some sort of big, grand thing that says why why I'm here. But it's a relatively simple answer if you just look in the scriptures. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. My whole duty is to keep the commandments of God. I am here to serve God. That is my purpose here. That is what I was put here to do. I am here to serve God. That is the purpose of me being here. Simple, right? There's no big hocus pocus thing going on. My purpose here is to serve the living God. He put me here. Uh, his purpose for me was to serve him while I was here. Well, Jimmy, that was in Ecclesiastes. That's that Old Testament again. Okay, let's look at the New Testament. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You're here to be a living sacrifice for God. You are here to serve the living God. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. The purpose stayed the same. You are here to serve God. That is your purpose. All the other parts of our lives are just window dressing. You were put here to serve God. Everything else you do, sure, we have to do something to make a living. Sure, I have to drive that concrete truck so I can pay my bills. But that's not my purpose here. Let's look at Colossians 3 and 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. No matter what I do, I'm supposed to do it like I'm doing it for God. I am here to serve God. He makes it clear and clear and clear in all these writings. We are here to serve God. Even when we're serving other people, we're to serve them like we're serving God. Why? So people can know how great I am, how good of a person I am? No. Remember that verse in Matthew, that many people may see your light and glorify your Father which is in heaven? You are put here to serve the living God. That is your purpose. Colossians 3 and 17, just a little bit earlier in the chapter, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. We are here. Our purpose here is to serve God. You know what? We can talk about people that had a high calling. Maybe you think about the cops. Maybe you think about the paramedics. Maybe you think about the firemen. Maybe you think about the soldiers. I want to tell you, my friends, there is no higher purpose than to serve a living God. To serve the God that gave you life, that gave you a soul, there is no higher purpose. And that's what we were put here for. All the other is just window dressing, like I said. You know, there are other topics that are covered in self help books, and we're not going to get into all of them. I didn't even really get really deep into any of those three, I just gave you the high points. I just barely touched on those things. You can find a lot of things in there about your self-worth, about relationships, about your purpose here. You can find a lot more information than what I just gave you. But we got to dig in and do the reading. I don't have time up here to tell you everything that God says about your self-worth, everything that God says about relationships, everything that God says about your purpose. I just don't have time to do that this morning. We could put a whole month together. We could put a whole series together, and maybe still not cover all that. There's a lot of information. Well, what are some of the other topics covered in, that the world says is important that we can also find in the Bible? Well, let's look. Parenting. You know, there's a lot of books about parenting, how you can be a better parent, how you can raise good kids, how you can raise kids you can be proud of. That's in the Bible. How about hope? What hope do I have here? This world's going bad fast. What hope do I have? You can find that in the Bible, too. Not just in these self-help books that you can find at Barnes & Noble or if you download it on the e-reader, however you do it. Peace. Dad talked about that last week. How do we have peace on this earth? How can we have peace with our fellow man? You know, that's a big thing. That goes into the relationships, too. Dad talked about that last week. I tell you, I'm not going to correct what he said on that. But you can find about peace in the Bible. And like I said... I just scratched the service. He just scratched the service last week on peace. Dude, you can find a lot more about peace than what he had to say last week. It's a fountain of knowledge in the Bible. How to handle guilt. You know, I did something wrong. How am I supposed to handle this? How am I supposed to make it right? There are a couple of books on the bestseller list about that. I've done something wrong, how do I make it right? I've done something wrong, how can I live with myself afterwards? You can find that in the Bible. How to have a happy life. You know we all want to be happy. There's a couple that are just basically telling you, go step by step on how you can have a happy life, how you can make yourself happy. If you want to have a happy life, get in the Bible. It'll tell you how to have a happy life. Or any other problem you might have. You know, you may think you have a weird and exotic problem, but I promise you, you don't. You know, Scripture tells us we are not tempted to, uh, Nobody, I had it and I lost it. See, you don't want to rely on men for self help. Let's just put that right there. But we, uh, we have a scripture that says that we're not tempted uh, in ways that other people haven't been. Basically, I have it in my head and I just can't get it out of my mouth. I apologize for that. But we're not tempted in ways that other people haven't been tempted before. We don't have sin problems that other people haven't had. It's in the book if you get in there and look at it. Well, if it's in the book, then why don't we consult God's word? You know what? I have a story just for this baby. Maybe this might help out a little bit. You know, I have another lady I worked with, and she was bit, really big in the self-help craze. She loved, she I found books, she read books, she recommended recommend books to us. She, I can't remember what the topic of the book she found was, but she goes, I finally found one I liked. And that. First in my head, I'm like, found one you liked, I go, oh, so you ran them all until you found one that agreed with you, and she goes, well, isn't that what you I go, I don't know, if you want help, maybe you should find something that disagrees with you if you're not doing it right in the first place, but I don't know, I'm just a country boy, maybe I'm not thinking right on that, I don't know, but is that what we do, we find one, we keep looking for one to we find one that agrees with us? I can go through 17, books. I will find one with you. Oh, number 18 agreed with me. That's the one I'm going to go by. You know what? That's a problem in the biblical days. If we look at Isaiah, what do I do with my little clicker? If we look at Isaiah 39 through 10, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and say to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Speak to us smooth things. Tell me something I want to hear. You know what? If you have a problem and you go into God's Word, I can't guarantee you you're going to like the answer. I can't guarantee you you're going to like what it says. It may not be something you want to hear, but I can guarantee you one thing it's what you need to hear. Because if you get in the book and do what it says, it'll fix your problems. You may not believe it. You know, we had a, my dad had a couple that he was helping out through with some relationship problems. And he told them what the Bible said, and they said, that'll never work. And he goes, okay. And he goes, why don't you just do this for me? Do it for six months, and then tell me how it's going after that. He went back after six months and goes, "It's amazing. It's like we never had the problems to begin with. You may not think it's going to work, but it'll work. What is that book? No, it was written over 2,000 years ago. People have changed, times have changed. We may like to think people have changed, but we're the same kind of people. We still have problems in relationships, we still struggle with things. And even if you don't think it'll work, give it a shot, because I guarantee you, you'll be surprised. Because like I said, it may not be what you want to hear, it may not be the thing that's easy to hear, it may not be the thing that's easy to do, If you get in the book and do the things it tells you to do, it'll make your life better. It'll make your relationships better. It'll give you a purpose to live this life. And so, so much more. Like I said, there isn't a topic I can think of that isn't covered somehow in the Bible. It is the greatest self-help book out there. Don't let them confuse you and say, oh, it's just a historical writing. Because even by their own very definition of what a self-help book is, the Bible fits it perfectly. We just got to be willing to get in and do the work. And even able to, and do, do what it says, even when it's not what we want to hear. Because you know what I've realized? Whenever I read the Bible, something I really don't want to hear it's what I need to do the most. Whenever I read something I really don't want to hear and I really don't want to do, once I do it, I go, you know what, I really needed to do that. <laughs> It's amazing how it works out. Don't let the fact that it's 2,000 years old think that there is no power in God's Word. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. It'll save your soul. And it'll give you a purpose for living here. It'll t- give you a purpose for living a better life here. It'll show you how to have better relationships. And it'll tell you how to be pleasing to your Creator. I can't think of anything better than that. We just got to dig in and do the work. You know what, we'd spend hours and hours and hours. When I was in high school, I can't tell you how many times I spent hours just studying. Why? Because I wanted to pass the class so I could go play football that weekend. That's why I did it, to be honest with you. I didn't do it because I wanted to learn the information. I wanted to do it so I could pass the class and go play football that weekend. That's what I wanted to do. But I didn't do the work. Easily. I learned some of it, even though I didn't really put in alien to do that. If we get in God's Word and we diligently search it, and we put those things in practice in our lives, we will have a better life here. And I'm not going to sit up here and say these self-help books have no value. I'm not saying you can't read them. I'm just saying why are we putting God's book on the shelf and reading what man has to say? You know whenever I bought it. I bought a smoker, and I was having problems. And you know where I went whenever I had problems? I went to the little book they sent with it, the manufacturer's instructions. You know, I didn't want to sit and it amazingly fix the problem on the smoker. It's amazing how that happens. God created you. Why wouldn't we go to the manufacturer of who created you on the advice to live our lives? Why wouldn't we trust other people he created instead of the creator himself? I don't get it. We put the Bible on the shelf and say, well, these guys know better about how to live in America today. No, they don't. They may think they do, but they don't. Get in the book and it will change your lives and you will have a better life and it will be the best self-help book you've ever owned. If you've gotten away from his principles, you need to get back. If you've gotten away from studying, you need to get back to studying. You know, we we talk about some things in Psalms and some things in Proverbs and one of my favorite scriptures is meditating on the word of the Lord day and night. Very first scripture in Psalms. Did we do that? Or something we just put on the coffee table so people know we're religious when they come in our house. You know what the ac- people in the first century would be amazed at the access we had to Bibles. I have one on my phone. I have one I can put in my pocket and carry with me no matter where I go. You know what people in the first century would have given for that? I know what they would have given for it because they gave their lives for it without even having it. Don't put it on the shelf and let it collect dust. Use it, put it in your life, and you will have a better life. I promise you that. It may not be easy to do. It may not be what you want to do. But if you do the things that are written in the, in the scriptures, you will have a better life. If you want that better life, we can help you in way. Won't you come as we stand and sing?